Welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Reverend Skylar Vogel. I am the senior minister here. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm really glad that you're joining us in this video. What follows are selections from our service on November 21st on Sunday. In this video, you will hear both a reading, you will hear my reflection from the service, and then you'll hear a vibrant discussion between myself and our director of religious education, Ember Kelly, where we talk more about the service theme, dive into why we talked about it, why it's important, and, and hopefully go a little bit deeper. Now, each and every week, you're invited to check out our media, our video and audio podcast each week. We post it on our website, on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and it's always streaming on your favorite podcast sites. If you like what you see, we hope that you'll give us a positive review to like and comment and share and subscribe. This helps us spread the fourth universalist message of love and justice a little bit further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community here in New York is located on the land of the Muncie Lenape peoples. This acknowledgement helps us continue the process of dismantling ongoing legacies of oppression vital to our eighth principle work. Thanks again for watching and joining us. We begin with our reading. This morning's reading is by the Unitarian Universalist minister, Robert Fulgham. Fulgham served two congregations in Washington State, the Bellingham Unitarian Fellowship and the Edmonds Unitarian Universalist Church, where he is currently minister emeritus. He's known as the author of the book, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Here are his words. I do not want to talk about what you understand about this world. I want to know what you will do about it. I do not want to know what you hope. I want to know what you will work for. I do not want to know your sympathy for the needs of humanity. I want your muscle. As the wagon driver said when they came to a long, hard hill, them that's going on with us, get out and push. Them that ain't, get out of the way. There has been a lot of talk recently about the word woke. In the past few weeks, our hometown newspaper, the New York Times, has had at least eight opinion pieces about it directly. Titles like the War on Wokeness, or Why Wokeness Will Fail, and Wokeness Derails Democrats. Those are just three out of many. Now, for those unfamiliar with the term, Wokeness occupies a similar place in the cultural vernacular to cancel culture and social justice warrior. It suggests liberals run amok, going too far. Woke people are often typecast as young, out of touch, overeducated coastal elites who want to create a socialist America, where police have been defunded healthcare free even for lazy people, where everyone uses pronouns 
and the bathrooms that they like. America is no longer a Christian nation, and the Green New Deal is the law of the land. Now, in the conservative media, wokeness is an existential threat to America and must be opposed at all costs. It takes away our freedom because it seeks to redefine acceptable norms and values. It's also a straw man and a watchword, almost a dog whistle, used to inflame and outrage and stoke fear of change. For moderates and some on the left, wokeness represents a different kind of threat, a destabilizing of the status quo, changing too much too fast, and risking elections by alienating those scared off by change. They point to Virginia and say, look what wokeness did there. Look how a moderate Biden beat Trump. But wokeness is not a new concept. It has origins in the black community dating back to as early as the 1920s. We see it in a song by Lead Belly in 1938 when he sings of the Scottboro Boys, nine black Alabama teens falsely accused of raping two white women. He ends the song by saying, I advise everyone to be a little careful. Best stay woke, keep their eyes open. Wokeness was a warning, an urgent necessity to stay vigilant. According to Deandra Miles Hercules, a researcher at UC Santa Barbara, to be woke grew to mean having a native relationship to black language, culture, and knowledge of social issues that arised in lived experience. It was about an awareness of how blackness intersected with injustice. But it was only recently that the word woke went mainstream, roughly coinciding with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. It was quickly appropriated beyond the black community and as often happens, twisted to become a term of mockery and derision by the right and center, but also by much of the left. I have noticed that in today's post-Trump world, there is an increasing willingness to typecast and dismiss people and ideas by calling them simply woke calling someone a social justice warrior or part of cancel culture. A few weeks ago, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers was found to have lied about his vaccination status and in the process failed to abide by rules designed to protect people. He then proceeded to explain his reasoning, which included many refuted claims and conspiracy theories. Now, Rogers was, was widely considered a very thoughtful, smart, and progressive guy. But in defending his actions, he appropriated all the lingo of the far right. I realize, he said in this interview, I'm in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now. So before my final nail gets put in my cancel culture casket, I would like to set the record straight. He unleashed all the buzzwords and labeled his critics as a mob, irrational, out of control, 
hysterical. He invites us to dismiss them outright, assuming we are in on the joke that the, might, the woke mob is ridiculous. Even though in this case, of course, the woke mob is simply the scientific consensus of medical doctors and the healthcare industry. The latter, of course, is hardly a bastion of radicalism. We see similar derision and dismissiveness from the comic Dave Chappelle. In his recent Netflix special, he proudly claimed to be a trans-exclusionary radical feminist or TERF. I'm team TERF, he said, which drew pushback from the trans community. To Chappelle, claiming that trans women aren't real women is just a joke, and criticisms of him an affront to his right to free speech and to be funny. But of course, a joke to some is a frightening threat to others. To many in the trans community, his jokes were a callous punching down. Chappelle gave permission to many to dismiss their feelings and experience, contributing to a culture that already does not see trans people as having worth. It's a culture of indignity that has real impacts. Rates of violence against trans women, especially trans women of color, are incredibly disproportionately high. It's why we have every year trans days of remembrance. You don't have those days if there's no one to grieve and mourn. Both Rogers and Chappelle are notable and should be noted by us because they are not mega people. Both were applauded by liberals for speaking out against the Trump administration's worst qualities. Both have many people on all sides of the political spectrum defending them for standing up against the woke mob. Both are powerful men with huge platforms who cried cancel culture and yet unsurprisingly experienced no canceling. So here is what worries me. I fear that we are backsliding. I fear that a good portion of America that was outraged at Trump were really just outraged at how unpleasant he was and how he disrupted their lives. Today with Biden in office, the unpleasant feels distant. To many, the struggle is over. To them, further struggle means threatening the peace that has been gained. The woke mob once applauded as resistance fighters now disrupts our return to normalcy. But this is a mistake. It's a problem when liberals who hate Trump laugh derisively at wokeness and cancel culture. It's a problem because justice is never about just getting back to normal. We should have learned that the old normal was never just. We should have learned that the old normal creates politicians like Trump. And until the old normal changes, we will have many more, various forms. We should have learned that the work of resistance is really about systems of oppression that create and maintain inequality.
that we need to change those systems ourselves and society. But as Chappelle and Rogers and the widespread defense of them shows, so many people did not learn those lessons. It turns out that many of those people were merely offended by the disruption that Trump caused, not the injustice it was actually rooted in. As Unitarian Universalists, as religious liberals, this should disturb us. We should be wise enough to know that our work is not done. The list of injustices that continue is long. We don't have to be particularly observant to notice the world is not radically better just because a different president is in office. Millions still have no health insurance. Millions can barely feed their families because their wages are so low. Our democracy is quietly being gerrymandered and our school curriculum being whitewashed. The climate is spiraling out of control. And if you think the midterms are gonna be great for those who have progressive views, you should think twice about that. We are in a dangerous place when merely raising the question of change and expecting more from our public figures is met with disdain and branded preposterous. It's a dangerous place. But it isn't new, of course. We study history, we see the same pattern playing out century after century. When we think of our own Unitarian Universalist history, the people we are most proud to claim as our own, to idolize, to put on pedestals, they were those people who were dismissed as the woke mob in their day. Ridiculous dreamers and aggravating rabble-rousers. They were those people who were mocked when they said, maybe women should have the right to vote. They were the ones who were sneered at when they said, gays and lesbians, maybe they should get married. Even abolitionists, we heard a little bit about from our kids today, lionized in textbooks across the country. They were maligned as unsavory and militant. Many good liberals of their day would have been offended to be called an abolitionist. You could be anti-slavery and not be an abolitionist. Respectable people didn't associate with abolitionists. They were the woke mobs of the 1850s and 1860s. And of course, the most famous recipient of mockery and derision was Jesus himself, a man whose radical ideas were so threatening to those in power that they killed him. The lesson is this, without the woke mob, there is no change. We can't lionize the past radicals and denigrate the current ones. The part of ourselves and our society that mocks and dismisses others for just wanting a better, more just world is the same part of ourselves that keeps us from attaining it. It's that part of ourselves that opposes, has opposed historically every major struggle for progress and change. It's what silences those on the margins and keeps the powerful on top. So if you find yourself tempted to roll your eyes at wokeness, remember the company you keep, the company in history who laughed 
at the suffragists and the abolitionists. Remember how history might look back today. Remember that the real work of justice is rarely popular, it's rarely cool, it's rarely mainstream, and it is rarely easy. Consider that for most of history, being mocked by those in power, those who can occupy the opinion pages in the New York Times, or have Netflix specials, or be interviewed for being a star quarterback, those mocked by those kinds of people, the people being mocked were the ones who were on the right side. Realize that if your outrage and derision is directed more at the people who just have the guts, the audacity to claim the world could be a little better. We shouldn't be mean to certain people who are really suffering. If you're more outraged that they have the audacity to say those things, wonder which side you're actually on. I'm not saying you can't disagree with tactics or language. We can't have meaningful conversations about how best to achieve the goals. But we have to respect those people who are raising the questions and asking us, all of us, to be better. The critics of Chappelle and Rogers are not hysterical, foolish people. They are people who care about the world and its vulnerable people. They are people who want the people in power who have microphones to use that power responsibly. They are people who see that if you're a transgender and the leading comic in America insults you, that's going to be bad. It's the people who recognize that if the leading MVP quarterback says, COVID is not a big deal. There are children going to schools and places where people don't have to wear masks. And that's a dangerous thing for kids. We must not backslide as a country in complacency into a place where those who work for change and justice are dismissed with a sneer and a wink and a catchy phrase. They're just woke. They're absurd. If we fall back into that, we become a crueler world because it seeks to crush the idealism and the hopefulness that we need to actually make real difference. I take comfort from the words of a trade union activist all the way back in 1918, Nicholas Klein, who said this, first, they ignore you, then they ridicule you, and then they attack you and they want to burn you, and then, they build monuments to you. We need to stop the ridicule. Our words matter, our actions matter, and we are always called to do better and ask each other to do better. That is what wokeness is really about. So I pray that one day Klein's words will be true again, that they will be a monument built one day and it will read simply this. For universal health care, for a healed planet, for a healthy democracy, 
for full bellies and well-funded schools, for cities do not, that do not fear their law enforcement for a living wage, for all this and so much more, we give thanks for the woke mob. May it be so, and amen. Hi, everybody. My name is Ember Kelly. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm the director of religious education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. And I'm really excited to get to sit down and talk about this message in defense of the woke mob uh, with Reverend Skyler. Skyler, it's so good to sit down as always. Yes, Ember, thank you. And thank you to all who are watching and listening. I liked this message. I mean, I think you probably knew that since we, we spent a lot of time talking about it as you were preparing it. Um, but I really uh, enjoyed uh, the challenge of thinking about this as it kind of becomes uh, a bit more common for us to be seeing these opinion pieces and all of these, um, this, this pressure that, oh, do we need to be this woke mob? Like, why are we, why are we constantly challenging everything? Why is everybody always being canceled? So it seems very, uh, very relevant to the uh, current moment yeah I, I i hope it hope it is um you know there's the old axiom that a, a minister has to preach with a bible in one hand and the new york times in the other um and uh that's certainly true for for this sermon um you know just reading the new york times opinion pages it felt like every other day there was some some article about wokeness and someone's opinion about what it meant to be woke um you know i think it has as i talked about dave Chappelle and aaron Rodgers. But this sort of larger question of what is the role of what during the Trump administration was, I think, an appreciated sort of radicalness that pushed the conversation forward um, because it counteracted what we were seeing uh, from the administration and these, these the more sort of racist, xenophobic tendencies of theirs. Um, but now that we have someone different, there seems to be a hesitancy on the part of suddenly the same people who are saying, well, 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 let's slow it down a bit. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to keep pushing this. Uh, it's threatening our stability. It's threatening, um, you know, whatever, whatever gains have been, have been won, which are quite slight um, in many ways, I think. Um, so it, it seems really important and it, for us as Unitarian Universalists to understand where we fall into this, both currently and also historically. And I think part of what I try to suggest in this, in the reflection is that, Unitarian Universalists have, have more or less, uh, as, a, as a denomination, served in some capacity to be the spear point of, of progress, to be the woke mob of their day. And that is not entirely true across the bounds, but our leading thinkers and those who may have made the history books are those who have been dismissed in a similar way that we see people now dismissing the, the woke mob, as Aaron Rodgers calls them. Um, there's certainly huge swaths of conservatism within our history as well. But, but I think that's key. When you look back at who are we proud of, there are people that people would have dismissed as woke mob, cancel cultures, social justice warriors. Right. The Theodore Parkers and Francis Ellen Watkin Harpers and all those sort of figures. They were they were the ones that were maybe getting a little bit of flack for, for being the uh, you're caring a little bit too much about justice. Can't you can't you take a break from that for a week? Just breathe, relax, you know, things aren't that bad. Yeah, well, and, you know, you mentioned about um, how it's kind of there was this appreciation of this pressure during the Trump years that they're like, hey, this is like beneficial. This is energy being used against Trump. And a lot of folks were happy about that. Uh, and then 
um, with the, the change in administrations, uh, while we still have many of the same white supremacist sort of issues in our culture, um, suddenly it's, wait, like, why, why, what, guys, everything's fine now. We're, we're back to normal. Um, do we really need to be still focusing on this stuff? We're, we're working on it. Um, so like, why, why is it so important for us to still keep pressure even when society is saying, oh, we won, like, we're, we're, we're back on the right path? <laughs> yeah, well, there are a couple of reasons. Um, one, our, the victory of the left or whatever you would refer to it, you know, is, is a very shallow, very tentative victory. Um, we only have to look at Virginia and the gubernatorial race there. We only have to look at the looming midterms and what usually happens to the ruling party during, during midterms. Uh, this is a victory in 20. 20 it's not going to be a victory probably in 2022 um it may not be a victory in 2024 uh our country has not fundamentally changed the 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 dynamics that led to president trump being president are still there we are seeing rampant gerrymandering and voter suppression efforts that will make an impact uh and limit the left's ability to maintain power and enact change and if people think that somehow the the solution is to pretend like everything is okay uh that is a very disturbing and self-defeating mentality um the 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 role of the woke mob if you call it that um or of anyone who's just on the left pushing people to do better which is really what i think the woke mob is trying to do and doing it without apologizing for it is to raise uncomfortable questions and to ask society to do better but it's also to sound alarm bells and say this uh this is not a good thing and you know if if the left catch does not mobilize in time for these elections coming forward it's going to be in trouble um, and we're going to see a lot of a lot of backsliding uh, it doesn't mobilize in 2024 we're going to see a lot of backsliding so so i think there's all that but i think there's on a, on a beyond just the political side of things and the and the power side who controls power to make change side there's also the spiritual side which is that i think it becomes a very it is spiritually defeating. It is, it's, it is bad for our hearts and spirits when we live in a world that, that accepts the mockery of sensitivity to suffering. And if we live in a world that, that sees suffering and, and when, when someone says, that's a problem, we need to fix this because people are in pain, and it is an okay thing in that society to mock those people who are trying to do good. That becomes a very callous society. That becomes a society that that laughs at people's objection to cruelty. Um, and and that's why politics aren't just politics; they're also about morality. And um, we see this. Um, you and I talked about this. We I, we see a little bit this with how people treat vegetarians and vegans, frankly. Um, and this is maybe an unpopular statement because. Um, a lot of people in this congregation and, and even on the left are not vegetarians or vegans. But, but it's very socially acceptable to mock these people who, are, who choose to not eat meat, um, even, though, even though we know, and I say this as someone who isn't a vegan, um, because it's hard to be a vegan, but, but we know that you don't have to eat meat, most of us, in order to live full, healthy lives. And we also know that eating meat contributes to massive suffering on an unprecedented scale for other life forms, in addition to the climate problems that it creates. And yet, 
it is okay to mock people who say that's a problem, right? To say, we don't care. Why would you care about some pigs and cows and their feelings, even though we know that they're real, right? So there is, it's a problem. It is spiritually damaging because it dampens our sensitivity to love and to compassion, um, to the suffering of other beings, people, animals, whoever around us. And to mock people who are woke, who are trying to make the world a better place, social justice warriors, is to attempt to squash that part of ourselves that that feels empathy uh, and feels kindness uh, and sees children who are hungry and and uh, wants to help them. And right now we have a political environment that um, where often it's the woke mob who's saying like we got to protect our kids because with masks and with vaccines and they're being made fun of as if it's some kind of absurdly radical thing uh, and that's very unfortunate right no oh well, and i think you know that kind of gets at also this uh, uh maybe it's a bit of a philosophical difference it's a difference of approach between uh traditional liberalism which shares actually a, a fair bit like in terms of the way of thought in common with conservatism, it's about the, the system, like it acknowledges that there's issues, but that the, you know, let's work within the system to change things versus this idea of radical change. And you actually talked about this uh, in your history of fourth U class um, last year. I, I hold on to a lot of memories from that class. <laughs> it was a good class, but you talked about um, this idea of of like just kind of status quo versus pushing for change. And like that are one of our, um, you know, early preachers, I forget which one it was, that he preached, you know, that like slavery was bad, but didn't necessarily call for any actions uh, around doing that. Or that um, uh, we had Pullman of the Pullman strike, um, <laughs> attending church here while the strike was uh, was happening and while these uh, people were literally being killed while on strike um, and that was not called out. So, you know, it's, as you mentioned, our history, as you use as fourth universalist, um, do we want to, you know, just kind of keep going with the flow and like, sure, like there's been UUs who have done that or do we want to be these folks that are that are challenging the, this task. It's, it's a real difference of approach into how we think about these social issues. Yeah, it is. It's a real difference of approach. I think I think, I think think it is often in what we saw during the Trump administration is that there was a, there was a, a realization, I think, from a larger breadth of our society that, that could no longer just rely on the social justice warrior woke mob to push for the change that, that everyone else enjoys. Um, you know, Chapin, who was the minister who was against slavery, but didn't really do anything about it. Um, you know, theologically it was wrong, morally it was wrong, but it wasn't a real threat to him personally and to his members here. And he may have actually members who were, who benefited financially from the trade uh, and the cotton trade and textile trade. Um, and so I think what we, I think we have to ask ourselves is what, what is motivating those people to fight for justice. Oftentimes there's a, there's a closeness to the actual issues. Uh, and I think what we've seen is that people who were really against Trump felt a closeness, they felt actually personally threatened 
maybe they felt like that the society, the country that they grew up in was changing in a way that they really felt. Or maybe, you know, it was, there was something about him and his politics that scared them. And I think what I'm what I'm worried about is that, you know, it's one thing we can say that maybe, oh, we maybe they had an awakening, right? That like systematic systemic oppression is real and we have to change society. It is not just okay to keep going the way that it was. And I think what we're seeing now is that people are really, that's, that wasn't about them having some realization. It was that Trump was so abrasive, so repugnant that they felt personally threatened and offended by him. But now that now that the right isn't that way towards folks, they can kind of sit back and say, well, you know, it's not that bad, right? Like people will make buy and, but none of the stuff has actually changed, right? We don't have universal healthcare. People are still getting shot by, by police. Um, the climate is still veering in a terrible direction. It hasn't, it hasn't changed. None of this has changed. Uh, and so I think the difference between sort of traditional liberals who say, you know, we can kind of work within the system and like gradual change is fine are often people who have a privilege of removal from the suffering of of these changes and those on the left either are people who are close to that work or are people who have really done the work themselves to uh to recognize that just because they themselves aren't directly impacted that they have an empathetic ability to recognize that these problems lead to one another and are connected to each other. Um, and I think that's what Unitarian Universalists at their very best can do to look at that larger work. And that's why we have the eighth principle, because and that's why that was so important, because we can embed that in who we are as a faith, not just um, not just when it actually threatens our largely educated community. Uh, definitely. Well, I think that also gets at um, that, yes, you know, these small wins are important. Like, yes, it was it was good that we mobilized to get Trump out of office. It's not a bad thing. Um, but that while we may have these small wins and while, you know, that's that's good, we should keep fighting for those. It's also about building this broader movement for real societal change and not just the small wins. You know, we, we got to be doing both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a long process. It's a long, steady process. It's not an easy process. We take wins, we can get them, but it is... It has to be a movement. It is not a, and it has to be a fundamental shift in our consciousness. Because as we can see, people show up to boot Trump. They don't show up to stop really conservative people in Virginia and all over the country in our last election cycle, right? Why? Uh, where was the shift of consciousness? Did it happen? Was it just quiet or people too busy? I don't know. But we need to make sure everything that we can do here to keep people on their toes that this work of justice, you got to be in it for the long run because the suffering isn't done and there's still a lot of work to do. Well, Reverend Schuyler, thank you for both this uh, great conversation as well as the great message. I appreciate uh, really getting to dive into these challenging topics with you. Thanks, Amber. I appreciate you and, uh, and being engaged in these conversations and everybody else who are watching and listening. <laughs>